Lesson 13 for December 17 through to 23. The Character of Job. Sabbath afternoon, December 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming close to the end of the study of the book of Job. And we've worked with Job each week as we've read this book. We've had your Holy Spirit guide us. We've had insights into his life and the life of those around him. And now as we look at his character, we pray that there may be lessons there for us that will help us know that we too can trust in you because you are always faithful. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 2, verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Let's read that again, James two twenty-two. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? In the midst of all the major issues touched on in the book of Job, we mustn't lose sight of other crucial themes. That of Job himself. Who was this man whom the Lord trusted so much that he challenged the devil over his faithfulness and integrity? Who was this man who did not understand why all this was happening to him, who knew that what was happening to him wasn't fair? who expressed anger and frustration over it all, and yet stayed faithful right through to the end. While the essence of the book of Job dealt with Job after the calamity struck, from this story we can pick up information about Job's earlier life, and what we learn about Job's past, and the kind of man he was, gives us a greater understanding of why Job stayed faithful to the Lord even amid all the terrible suffering, even amid everything Satan did to try to turn him away from God. What was Job like? And what can we learn about how he lived that can help to make us be more faithful followers of the Lord as we live our own lives? Sunday, December 18, The Man from Us. Question. Read Job chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 8. What does this tell us about the character of Job? Job 1, verse 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Though Job had been told all through the dialogues that he must have done something wrong in order for all this evil to come upon him, the opposite appears to be the case. It was his goodness, his faithfulness, that made him the special target of Satan. How good and how faithful was he? First, the text tells us that he was perfect. This word does not have to mean sinless, as was Jesus. It comes instead with the idea of completeness, integrity, sincerity, but in a relative sense. 
The person who is perfect in the sight of God is the person who has reached the degree of development that heaven expects of him or her at any given time. The Hebrew word for perfect, tam, as it says in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, volume 3, page 499, is equivalent to the Greek word teleos, which is often translated perfect in the New Testament, but which is better translated full-grown or mature. Job's later experiences reveal that he had not reached the ultimate perfection of character. Though faithful and upright, he was still growing. Second, the text says he was upright. The word means straight, level, just, right. Job lived in a way that he could be called a good citizen. Third, the text says he feared God. Though the Old Testament portrays the idea of fearing God as part of what being a faithful Israelite was all about, the phrase also is used in the New Testament for Gentiles, who faithfully served the God of Israel. As we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always, and verse 22, And they said, Cornelius the centurion is a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Finally, Job eschewed or shunned evil. This characterization of Job was affirmed by the Lord himself when he said to Satan in Job 1 verse 8, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one who feareth God and escheweth evil? In the end, Job was a man of God whose faith was revealed by the kind of life he lived. And thus he truly bore witness to angels and to men, as it said in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9, about what a person can be in Christ. And so to finish today, if the book of Job were about you, how would the opening line read? Uh, I'm going to give you a, a few alternatives. There was a man or woman in the land of is it Peru or Florida or Kenya or Papua New Guinea or Canada? Who was blameless and upright and who loved God and abhorred evil? Monday, December 19, Steps Bathed in Cream As Job struggled to come to terms with the calamity that befell him, he did think about his past life and how good it had been for him and how he had lived. Talking about the earlier days, Job said that in this time, in Job 29 verse 6, my steps were bathed with cream. For instance, in Job 29 verse 2, Job talked about the time that God has watched over me. 
The Hebrew word for watched over comes from a common word used all through the Old Testament to talk about God's watch care for his people. We can see that in Psalm 91 verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. Beyond question, Job had the good life. The important thing too was that he knew that he had the good life. Question. Read Job chapter 29 verses 8 through to 17. What did these verses tell us about how others had viewed Job and how he treated those who were struggling? Job 29, beginning at verse 8, The young men saw him and hid, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw, then it approved me, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked, and plucked the victim from his teeth. We can see here just how much Job was respected. The phrase about his taking his seat in the open square Job 29 verse 7, brings in the idea of some sort of local governance of which Job was obviously a part. Such seats would usually be given to the senior and respected members of the society, and among them Job was highly esteemed. But we can see that even the lowest members of the society loved and respected him. The poor, the perishing, the blind, the widow, the fatherless, and the lame, those who had not been blessed as Job had been blessed, were the very ones to whom he gave aid and comfort. Ellen White writes in Education, page 142, God has given in his word a picture of a prosperous man, one whose life was in the truest sense a success, a man whom both heaven and earth delighted to honour. End of quote. Verses like these, and others, as we will see, show us why Job had been a very successful person in every way, both in the sight of men and of God. And so to finish the day, it's easy to be kind and respectful to the rich and the powerful and the famous. How, though, do you treat those who have nothing to offer you at all? Tuesday, December 20, Heart and Eyes At first glance, it could sound as if Job were bragging, as if Job were parading his holiness and virtue and good conduct before others. This attitude, of course, is precisely the kind that the Bible condemns, as we read in the 
book of Matthew in chapter 23 where Jesus talks about woe to the scribes and Pharisees because they do all these little bits and pieces and say how great they are. But they were hypocrites. But that's not what was happening here with Job. Again, it is critical to remember the context. He's being told that his past life, a life assumed to be pretty evil, is the cause of his suffering. Job, meanwhile, knows that this simply cannot be true and that nothing he has done made him deserve what had come upon him. So he spends this time recounting the kind of life he lived and the kind of person he was. Question. Read Job chapter 31 and verses 1 to 23. What else does Job say about how he lived before the calamities? Job 31, beginning at verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above, and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked, and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways, and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales, that God may know my integrity." If my step has turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbour's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her. For that would be wickedness." yet it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. If I have despised the cause of any male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? If I have kept the poor from their desire, or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my youth I reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow, if I have seen any one perish for lack of clothing, or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me, or if he has... If he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder, let my arm be torn from the socket. For destruction from God is a terror to me, and because of his magnificence I cannot endure. Notice too that Job wasn't dealing only with his outward actions. The text, my heart followed my eyes, that's chapter 31 verse 7, shows that Job understood the deeper meaning of holiness, the deeper meaning of right and wrong and God's law. Job apparently knew that God cares about the heart, about our thoughts as well as our actions. We see evidence of that in 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Exodus 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Job knew that it was wrong to lust after a woman and not just to commit adultery with her. Again, what powerful evidence for the fact that knowledge of the true God had existed even before the Lord called the nation of Israel to be his covenant people and a witness to him. Question. Read what Job said in Job 31, 13 to 15. Why is this message so crucial? If I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he punishes? How shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? Here Job shows an amazing understanding, especially for his time, any time really, about the basic equality of all human beings. The ancient world was not a place where concepts of universal rights and universal laws were understood or followed. People groups thought of themselves as greater than and superior to others, and at times thought nothing of denying basic dignity and rights to others. Here, though, Job shows just how much he understands about human rights and that these rights originate in the God who made us. In some ways, Job was ahead of not only his time, but our time as well. Wednesday, December 21, A House on the Rock Question. Read Job chapter 31, verses 24 to 34. What else can we learn about Job? Job 31, beginning at verse 24. If I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines, or the moon moving in brightness, so that my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment." For I would have denied God who is above. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me, or lifted myself up when evil found him, indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. If the men on my tent have not said, Who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat? But no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveller. If I have covered my transgressions as Adam, by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude, and dreaded the contempt of families, so that I kept silence, and did not go out of the door. No wonder the Lord said what he did about the life and character of Job. This is a man who clearly lived out his faith, a man whose works reveal the reality of his relationship with God. This, of course, made his complaint all the more bitter. 
Why is this happening to me? he said. And of course, it made the arguments of his friends as vain and hollow as they were. But there's a deeper and more important message that we can take from the reality of Job's faithful and obedient life. Notice how closely the life he lived in the past was tied to how he responded to the tragedies that befell him later. It was not by chance or luck or sheer willpower that Job refused to curse God and die, as we read in Job 2.9. No, it was because of all those years of faithfulness and obedience to God gave him the faith and character that enabled him to trust in the Lord regardless of what happened to him. Question. Read Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 to 27. What is found in these verses that reveals the reason Job stayed faithful. Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The key to Job's major victory here was found in all the smaller victories he had before. Look, if we check also Luke chapter 16, verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. It was his faithful adherence to right without being willing to compromise that made Job what he was. What we see in Job is an example of what the book of James says about the role of works in a life of faith. James 2.22 Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? What an important principle of the Christian life is revealed in this text. In the story of Job, we see this principle played out in a powerful way. Job was made of the same flesh and bone as all of us, yet through the grace of God and his own diligent effort, he lived a life of faithful obedience to God. And so to finish today, what choices do you need to make in order to live as faithfully as did Job? Thursday, December 22, The Manifold Wisdom of God Earlier in the book of Job, amid the back and forth between the characters, Eliphaz the Temanite said to Job, Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous, or is it gain to him that you make your ways blameless? 
That's a very iconic question, given what we know about what was happening behind the scenes in heaven. Yes, it is a pleasure to God if Job was righteous, and it was gain to him if Job made his way blameless. And this is true not just with Job. The same goes for all of those who claim to be followers of the Lord. Question. Read Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. How do these words help to answer the question that Eliphaz threw at Job? Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The immediate issue in the book of Job was, would Job be faithful? Satan said he wouldn't. God said he would. Job's faithfulness, then, was definitely to God's advantage, at least in this specific battle with Satan. This story, though, is just a microcosm of bigger issues. The first angel's message tells us, in part, to give glory to God in Revelation 14.7, and Jesus explained in Matthew 5.16 that by your good works we can bring glory to God. This is what Job did. This is what we can do too. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. How is the principle expressed here revealed in the book of Job, but on a smaller scale? Ephesians 3 verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What we see in this text and in the book of Job are expressions of the fact that God is working in the lives of his followers to change them, for his glory, into his image. As Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 671, the very image of God is to be reproduced in humanity. The honour of God, the honour of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. End of quote. The life of Job was an example of how human beings may reveal this principle, even though Job lived many thousands of years ago. God's people in every age have the privilege of living their lives in the same way as well. So to finish the day, what in your life brings glory to God? What does your answer tell you about yourself and how you live and what you might need to change? Friday, December 23. The Protestant Reformation reclaimed the great truth of salvation by faith alone. This truth was first intimated in the word back in Eden itself in Genesis 3.15, and then given fuller expression in the life of Abraham in Genesis 15.6 and Romans 4.3, before being successively revealed in Scripture up through Paul. Let's look at those texts, and I will put enmity, it says in Genesis 3.15, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 15.6, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And Romans 4.3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Yet the truth of salvation by faith alone always included the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, not as the means of salvation, but as an expression of it. In the life and character of Job, we find a great example of what this work looks like. Theologians sometimes call this work sanctification, which means basically holiness. It is so significant in Scripture that we are told to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12.14. The basic meaning of sanctification is set apart for holy use. An idea seen, for example, when the Lord said to his covenant people, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy, Leviticus 19, verse 2. Though the word and concept appear in various ways in both the Old and New Testament, They deal with what God does in us. It can be seen as a moral growth in goodness and toward goodness. It is a progressive process, as it says in the Handbook of Seventh-day Adventist Theology, page 296, of moral change by the power of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with the human will. Though this work is something that only God can accomplish in us, we are not forced into sanctification any more than we are forced into justification. We give ourselves to the Lord, and the same Lord who justifies us by faith will sanctify us as well, moulding us as he did with Job into the image of God, at least to whatever degree is possible this side of eternity. So Paul writes in Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I labour in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. And Ellen White writes in That I May Know Him, page 265, Christ is our pattern, the perfect and holy example that has been given us to follow. We can never equal the pattern, but we may imitate and resemble it according to our ability. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. What choices can we make that will influence the degree to which the Lord can work in us? We know that only God can change the heart, but we must cooperate. What does that cooperation look like? How is it manifested? 2. Colossians 2, six reads, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do these words help us to understand what it means to live in faith and obedience? And question three. How can we as a church, not just as individuals, bring glory to the Lord before humans and before angels? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Waking Up My Heart, Part 2. About six months after my first visit to Caveto's home, he invited me to attend church with him. I'd been reading the Bible and was interested in what kind of church would teach these things, so I decided to go. I was interested, but careful, for I didn't want to be seduced into something irrational. The church building was unimpressive, but when we entered, everyone wanted to shake my hand. 
Cavetto knew I was a reserved person, so he had warned me that the people were friendly. I felt a different atmosphere in this place, one filled with peace, order, and love. I really enjoyed the church service and the warmth of the people, and began going to church every Sabbath. Now I know that the Holy Spirit was awakening my heart and mind so I could understand the truth. I recognized my own spiritual poverty. God gave me faith and changed my heart. My family noticed the changes in my life. They questioned me, fearing that I was being deceived by some sect. They saw that my religious conviction was strong and never forbade me to visit the church or read the Bible. As Cavito and I studied together, we dealt with other aspects of faith in God and doctrines. I regularly attended public meetings on the topics found in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Reputation helped me to understand those things and answer questions that I wasn't sure how to ask. One year, after I first met Cavetto on the street, I committed my life to God. On a Friday night, under the canopy of heaven, I was baptised. I felt as though heaven was near as I answered the pastor's questions and affirmed my faith. On Sabbath, I was officially received by the church. I was twenty years old. How patient and caring is our mighty God! It amazes me to know that he who controls the whole universe would stoop down to free me from the errors of this world. He saved me, and he leads me daily toward a greater understanding of salvation. He caught me when I was trying to decide what I would do with my life. After my baptism, I studied at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary in Prague, so that I could be an instrument in God's hand to lead other searching souls to Him. I praise God and thank Him for Cavito, who never gave up on me when I did not believe. This story was written by Joseph Plucky, who is now an ordained Seventh-day Adventist minister and serves as the Director of Children's Ministries, Children's Sabbath School and Pathfinders in the Slovakian Conference. Have a great Sabbath. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.